soul's love. Oh, I love to listen to you guys sing. It just, it's just good for the soul to, to sing. I read a study that said uh, with, with all the people who have to go to the gym and do all of those things, that as uh, corporate singing does the same amount of cardiovascular work over about a 20-minute period as being on a treadmill and walking. So you've got your exercise in for today, and we're going to do a little bit more extra for you as well, but I always love that kind of, I love that kind of stuff. Sometimes I feel, and, and as we pick up those themes of battle and fighting and victory and those things, I, I, I sometimes feel surrounded, and I don't mean that in a good sense. Uh, I, I feel surrounded by a culture that is uh, evacuated from my value system. And every morning I've got a few websites that I read and look at, and one of them is Real Clear Politics, and that's a, an aggregator, so I get some things I agree with and some things I disdain. And, and then I've got to use my brain and my heart to kind of sift through that and figure out what, what, what I believe and, and those things. And I always read a few things that I can't stand because it's good for your brain, right? You need to know how the other side thinks, and, and, and then you read stuff that you completely agree with, and you go, yeah, this guy's totally brilliant, just like me, you know? And, but sometimes I read those things, I feel surrounded. I listen to my friends speak, and they live in Texas, and they live in Minnesota, and they live in Wisconsin, and Illinois. I've got some buddies in Florida, and they go, how are you making it in California? I go, well, what do you mean? They go, well, California's insane right now. And I go, well, I don't know, I get up and do what I've been called to do, and I don't get too uptight about it. And then I hang up or quit texting, and then I'm like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little nutty, you know? And I feel like sometimes my value system, a, a, a value system with Jesus at the middle is something that's you know, on the minority or on, on the way out. And I know that's not true, right? I've read the Bible, like we said in the, in the praise song, I, I know how the story ends, right? But sometimes it feels like we're just surrounded. And that's not the first time God's people have ever felt that way. If you read through first period of chapter two, verses nine through 12, there's some of that as, some of that as well. And, and, uh, and it's a great backdrop to, to think a little bit about who we are and what we're all about as God's people, right? As God's people. And what our identity rests in and who we are is not our political proclivities. Our identity rests in Jesus. And, and one piece that I want to draw out of that today in a, in a few moments. Um, this is the first part. And, and uh, Sarah, I'm sorry, Jackie read this for us. And I love this piece. But you are a chosen people, a royal, police, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Look at that. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Who wrote the lesson for this week? Do you know? The, the thing in our book, the word of the Lord grows. Do you know who wrote that? 
Micah wrote it. Nicely done. Our vicar wrote it. How about that? And he just led Bible study there for an hour on something that I would never touch out of 2 Peter chapter 3. Christ descended into hell. He's got it all figured out. I'm like, wow, Trevor's doing a better job with him than I did with Trevor. You know, that's all good. What's your identity? Who are you? It's interesting when you get a, an email that says, kind of figure it out, and why did I get this? Well, I got this because of my identity. Amazon thinks I should buy this because I clicked on this, and the mountain bike backpack came up, and now my whole feed is filled with this. I've been identified as somebody who wants this. You push Green Bay Packers on your Instagram, and you get 8 million things of buy this, have that, do this, buy this, have that. And it's like, I'm at my identity. You hit Jesus, you hit scripture, and all of a sudden your Instagram feed, your Twitter feed is all filled with scripture. Peter was writing to people kind of trying to figure out who their identity was, what they were all about. And it had nothing to do with social media. It had everything to do with being connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, are you a Roman? Or are you Jewish? Or are you in this camp or that camp? What ethnicity are you? And Peter says, wait, 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 wait. There's one calling that supersedes all of the others. And that is that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Sometimes I've got to back off and, and literally say, this is who I am, and this is what I stand for, and this is what I'm all about. Partially because when I feel surrounded, the pressure of being surrounded makes me, and maybe you feel the same thing, as if my identity is being kind of tugged and pulled at. And it's the scripture and the promise of God and the presence of Jesus that reminds me and you, us this morning, exactly who we are. We are the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the power of that is in what we do, right? He said, you are called to uh, give witness of him who's called you out of darkness. But it's also interesting that we are marked by mercy. Isn't that fascinating? We're marked as the people of God by mercy. Mercy is harder for me than grace. Grace is the... Um, undeserved love of God, where God looks at me every morning through the cross and says, Tim, I, I, I love you. Even in spite of your shortcomings and your sins, I love you and I behold you in my grace. It's the way that parents look at children and especially with the way parents look at grandchildren who can do no wrong, right? Uh. But what about mercy? At this stage of my life and with my sins and my stuff, I need mercy more than grace. Because as I mature, I understand my own weaknesses and my own foibles and failures in a much broader context than I did when I was, say, 35 as I'm pushing 60. Mercy is the idea that God could put it on you. That everything you've done, everything you've said, God would be just in his own legal right to walk away and say, you know what, I'm done. I've had enough. But because he is rich in mercy, he marks us with that mercy. God says, no, no, in spite of what you've done and in spite of who you are 
And in spite of where you're at, I view you through the cross of Jesus. And my mercy is rich for you. Mercy being that where God relents and says, I could put it on you, but I won't because I love you. The grandest sign of God's mercy that identifies us as the people of God is his cross. Where God said, it could have been you. You could have been the one. It would have been righteous and legal for you to be on the cross. But God says, in mercy, I'll take this cross. I'll suffer and die. And any punishment that would be on you, I will mercifully remove. Because I love you. And I died for you. And I'll walk with you in your life. I don't know why that is. But it's only been in the last couple years where the mercy of God has meant more to me than the grace of God. I think it's because I'm more acutely aware of my own weaknesses. And in that then also acutely more aware of God's strength toward his people, towards me. So what marks our community then as people of God? What marks us as a church? Our strength, our, our architecture, our, our music, all of those things. Well, you know, there's pieces of that that, that do that. But, but Peter would say the most important part is the part of being merciful. This Thursday evening, I was walking through Walker Hall on the other side. And, um, you know, what are you setting up for? What are you doing? Mary Salgado was in there and Trevor and a whole bunch of our volunteers said, what are you doing? So, well, we have our big dinner tonight. And I go, oh, 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 that's right. What's the dinner for? Well, the dinner is for families in Orange County that have reunified. Really? I thought maybe there'd be a dozen people there. 125. Families who've worked mercifully through process. A husband who looked at a wife and said, I could throw you out on your ear because of what you've done. But through the process of reunification, they've shown mercy to one another so that there's children running around throughout our facility with, with mercy in their eyes and mercy in their hearts because their families have been brought together. Are they all sitting in worship? Sitting in our school? No. But have they all understood mercy? Yeah. Families together this morning, because our congregation chooses to show mercy rather than judgment and to embrace people where they're at rather than say, until you get to be like us, then we're not. The mercy of God says we love you and we accept you where you're at, just as God in Christ accepted us where we were at. Peter's saying this to people who are about to be surrounded and, and, and are going to need mercy more than grace because the hurt from the Romans is, is going to come down. So Peter keeps on writing. I love this. But 1 Peter 3, 15, 16, and 17. But in your hearts, revere, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil oh man if you were going to grab a screenshot of anything that's what you would 
grab. Whenever there's a but in Scripture, the, the money verse is after it. Same with the therefores, right? So here's the but in verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Peter's saying, I know you're going to be surrounded. I know you feel like you're going to be cut off. I know that the hurt's coming down, and it isn't going to be easy for all you Christians sitting here in Asia Minor. But, but in your hearts, separate Christ as Lord. Always be willing to give an account of the hope that fills you, but do so with what? Two words, gentleness and respect. People come into the church, they come into the new member class, they go, I want to get involved in apologetics. I said, well, you may need to go to another church. I said, why is that? I said, well, we're lovers, not fighters in that regard. So you don't do an apologetics? You're going to sit and argue about Christ descending to hell and whether Jesus was truly divine? I go, no, no, we're cool. We're sold out to other stuff. But there are plenty of churches where you can go and argue about apologetics. Oh. Okay. Have our conversations with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Our tone, our posture, the words that we choose to use are filled with kindness instead of brutality, are filled with unity rather than separation, are filled with love and unconditional love rather than judgment. What makes the Christian community truly unique is that it's not properly understood as a voting block. It's not properly understood as those crazy evangelicals. The Christian community should be marked by a conversation that points people back to Christ as Lord and does so with a tone of gentleness and respect. One of the beautiful things of the church coming out of COVID is this is more and more prevalent more and more Christians standing up and saying, it's about Jesus than it is about me. And it'll be interesting to see what the next generation, the millennials and the Zoomers, add into that conversation as they do so with gentleness and respect. <clears throat> I've been asked about a thousand times since COVID and George Floyd and all the stuff that's gone on, people say, is this the end? I don't know. Is it? I don't know. You should know. You're the pastor. You should have the answer to all those questions. Is it? I don't know. Even Jesus, when they asked him, he said, I don't know. Only the Father knows. Is this the end? Uh, I don't know. But it's pretty clear in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, these words, the end of all things is near. Therefore, right? Buts and therefores. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Remember when your parents said, we'll be home? I remember that. What time are you going to be home? My parents used to love to go up to Santa Barbara. And they'd say, we'll be home Sunday afternoon sometime. Well, what time? Well, why do you need to know, Timothy? Well, I don't know. I just want to make sure everything's, you know, put together. So if they'd leave Thursday afternoon after work, they'd come back Sunday afternoon sometime. I'll never forget my father sitting in his easy chair, his Barca lounger, whatever, and he reached down into the chair and he pulled up an empty bottle of Michelob Light. And I was probably 20 or 19 and my brother was probably about 17 or 18. 
If we would have known when dad was coming home, we would have cleaned up a little more thoroughly. You know what I'm saying? Baby boomer people with, yeah. The end of all things is near. Jesus doesn't say when so that we can party up until the moment he comes back. We leave that sort of revelry to pagan understanding of the world. Well, we'll just party and be Epicurean until the world comes back, eat, drink, and be merry, and then we'll see. No, no. Jesus says the end of all things is near. In the as last sermon in Matthew's gospel, 25, 26, Jesus speaks of the end times, and he says, watch out. Be alert. Always be looking around. The call is not when Jesus is coming back. It's that he is coming back. And for us to be competent as we live out our identity as his people, speaking and acting with gentleness and respect. The end of all things is near. When, don't know, don't matter. All I know is that the call is to be alert and ready. Of sober mind that you may pray. And then verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I learned to read the Bible really at seminary, and I took one of the secrets of reading the Bible out of that 35 years ago, and that's that all the action in the Bible is in the verbs. And when you read the Bible, you want to see who is doing the verbs, and so the verb here is, is. And as Bible-believing Christians, we believe is means is. The end is near. Be awake, be sober-minded. Do not be lulled into sleep as we're surrounded by sin and pagan influences. Stand up. See what's going on. Read the signs of the times, not through the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but through the eye of Scripture and the promises of victory being ours in Jesus. Be self-controlled. Live such good lives among the pagans, Peter writes, so that they look at our church, they look at our families, and they say, it's really hard for us to get on you nutty people in St. John's because look at all the families that re were reunified and look at all the work that you do and look at your schools and look at your people and look at your Friday and look at all, and you're doing all this crazy stuff and no one pays you for it. And as a matter of fact, the way California is organized, they make it more difficult for you. Well, okay. Be self-controlled. Participate in and do those things that engage you and make an impact in the lives of other people. Even though we're surrounded, we're not defeated because the victory is ours in Jesus. Thirdly, love is the verb, right? Love each other. Why? Well, because love covers over a multitude of sins. The best person to speak on that would be my wife <laughs> because the love she has for me covers over a multitude of my sins over the 40 years that I've known her. The people that know you the best, the most, that are closest to you are the ones who've forgiven you the most. And in the giving and the taking of that mercy, our relationships become like this. So that Christian friendships, Christian marriages, Christian parenting, Christian grandparenting, Christian workers, Christian bosses, 
all have a different, more deep, deeper, richer connection to people because we love one another, viewing one another through a lens of mercy rather than judgment. And that last thing's cool. Offer hospitality, right? <laughs> what should we do in our, in our facilities, in our church? What should we do? Well, we should offer hospitality all the time. It's not surprising that the most trafficked place is the after church in the courtyard. We had a team that said, well, what do we need to do to be a more friendly church? And they said years ago, let's have better donuts. Let's have better coffee. Let's put water out there. Let's make it so that everyone goes out there after church. Yesterday and uh, last week, a 94-year-old guy tapped me on the shoulder. He said, where do all these people come from and where do all these little people come from? I watch people walk away with two or three donuts, shoving them in their purse. Oh, sorry. Or their wallet. Oh, wait a minute, right? What's wrong with that? Nothing. That's the right thing to do. Have a donut. I'm looking at Richie and Greg. Have a donut. Hang out. Find community. Offer hospitality. That's the mark of what a church community is all about. Guys and families saying, hey, we've been connecting together and hanging out. How is that? It's fabulous. We've got friends and we're together in this whole thing. The end is near. Okay. But be self-controlled. Love each other. Offer hospitality. And do so all in the name of Jesus. For when we're surrounded, history is borne out that the church is at its absolute best because the light of Jesus shines marvelously through the darkness of sin and the world. Amen.